1: Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with award-winning journalist Jackie Reed. From local news to CNN's headline news to a popular stint on BET, she's made a name for herself in the media. She was also a longtime voice on the Tom Joyner Morning Show. Recently, she's become a prominent voice for veganism and co-host of a popular podcast, Some may remember we worked together for a number of years at BET, and even though I knew a lot about her background, I started by asking about something I didn't know. I knew you were from Georgia, Uh but I didn't know what part of Georgia you were from, so I'm curious, share with us what part and what growing up was like for you.
2: Well I always like to say I'm from Decatur where it's greater. <laughs> I'm Sure you've heard that. <laughs> but to most people, I, I say that to people who know exactly you know how right. Atlanta works. You know, I'm from a suburb of Atlanta. So mm-hmm. I, mostly I say I'm from Atlanta, but growing up in that area in the South, it it prepares you for a world as a prepares you for the world as a black woman, as a black person in a very different way. I've never known anything but a black mayor. In Atlanta. Atlanta has always been a very progressive city and you know that because of the civil rights movement, because of the historically black colleges and universities that are there. As a child, I went to Spelman College to take dance and gymnastics and tap classes and all of those things because my mother wanted my sister and I to be exposed to that culture. So, as I was sitting there waiting on my mom to pick me up, I would see these black women walking on this beautiful campus. So I was exposed to those types of things. You know, my mom took me to see Alvin Ailey very young. You know, as a child, so I was exposed to those types of things. So you couple that with going to school with affluent black people, because there wasn't just as there are in so many, uh, you know, major metropolitan cities, one black neighborhood in Atlanta. There were several. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you saw that um, affluence among black people. You saw the brilliance of black people. You saw powerful black people. I was exposed to that all of my life. So, you know, as I moved because of my career to different cities, you know, there was an arrogance about me, if you will, just about because I knew that black people were amazing and special and were supposed to be doing the best things at the highest level. And that was my expectation no matter where I went. Um, and it was interesting as I moved throughout the world to see things differently, um, even in a New York City where, you know, if you're just talking about the city and not the outer boroughs where, you know, it, there are pockets of Harlem, mm-hmm. you know, where, it, where it's considered, uh, you know, affluent, but not in the rest of the city. You go to the Four Seasons in Atlanta, the manager's black, the patrons are black. You go to the Four Seasons in New York City to this day, it's all white. There Mm -hmm. might be black people in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There might be black patrons here or there. And so I grew up with this very different experience about what it meant to be black in this country.
1: Atlanta now reminds me of Detroit when I grew up in Detroit. And it's exactly what you said. We had a black mayor very early on. The city council was black. We had a lot of black professionals and also a lot of black middle class people who weren't quote professionals, but they worked in the factory and they made just as much as the black professionals. So there is a sense of if you see success, you you can believe it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You see it, you're exposed to it. You know, it, it, you know, you can be a kid and have fun, but when you go to the grocery store, when you go to department stores, um, just as you move around, when you see Black people being successful, and not just extreme examples like a mayor, but to your point, just everyday working people, the people that you are, are friends with your parents, being successful, driving nice cars, living in nice homes, um, vacationing, you know what I mean? D- just doing all those things that all of us were not exposed to at a young age. I had the privilege to be exposed to that because I grew up in the Atlanta area.
1: Did you always want to go into broadcasting, be a journalist, or what did you want to be coming up?
2: It was a toss up between a journalist and a veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> As a kid, those were the two things that I was uh, considering. And I was even on my, uh, I wrote it on the literary magazine in elementary school, and I was on the high, my high school newspaper. Um, but I also was just I, I always loved animals and I, I ended up choosing journalism, um, you know, and no regrets. I love it. But now I'm able, able to merge the two worlds.
1: Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that in, in a little bit. I was going to ask you, was that part of uh, your journey with with veganism? So we'll get into that in just a bit. But let me stay with the broadcasting side of it. So you, like many people, and I, I didn't go this route. I was a little different. Um, but you start your first job, Brunswick, Georgia, and then you travel markets, um, find your way to headline news down in Atlanta. um, And then that takes you, where I ran across you, uh, to BET. Give me a sense of what your journey was to BET, and then we'll we'll get into the BET years.
2: Yeah, it was interesting because, as you say, I started out in Brunswick, Georgia, a one-station market, you know, lived on St. Simon's Island. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was a market where it was a one, it was one station and it was family owned. So we didn't have to, you know, those times. And it's funny that we're back to this in this, in this business where people are shooting their own content, even in New York city, that was unheard of years ago, you know, in in the big markets, it was the smaller markets where you were shooting and editing and doing all of those things. I didn't have to do that uh, starting out early on, which I was very lucky. I was in Brunswick for about a year and a half. And then I went to Lexington, Kentucky and worked there for four years. But I was at the number one station and I was lucky to land there because where you are within a market matters. If you're at a number one station, that means that station has a lot of money and a lot of resources we not only had a lot of live trucks, we, had sa- we were the only station in the market that had a satellite truck, which is really important at the time. And we were the only station that could utilize helicopters in our coverage. And we were also the station that had the University of Kentucky contracts. So all the games were on our station. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, it, it was amazing to be in that market and work for a station that was such a juggernaut uh, in, in the city. Um, So that was a great experience. And so because I got such great experience at that market, perfecting my live shots, perfecting all of my reporting and anchoring, I was able to make a really big jump from Lexington to Houston, uh, Texas, uh, which was was a top 10 market. So it was a huge jump to make. And um, from there, I went to CNN Headline News in Atlanta. I was able to go home, Wasn't there long before BET came calling (laughs) and they were like, Ed Gordon personally said he wants you to come and work
1: with us. Come on. (laughs) I tell everybody it was such an experience. I mean, you know, BET had its issues. We had our issues with that network. But I tell everybody, for most of us, we did things there we would have never been able to do anywhere else. We would have been so far down the rung. At any other network, we yep. wouldn't have even been considered to do the kinds of things that we did. Give me a sense of what what the BET years were for you.
2: BET was a game changer, especially uh, based on how I grew up in Atlanta. Once I got to BET, I was like, OK, yes, this is how <laughs> it's supposed to be. Yes. You know what I mean? We're supposed to be getting the exclusives. We're supposed to be at the at the Democratic and and you know conventions. We're supposed to be there front and center um getting these, you know, exclusive opportunities to cover so many things and report on so many stories and you know when I came to BET, it was that collaboration with Viacom Which was such a big deal because, you know, we moved into the CBS buildings um, and that's where and so we had those resources in order to do our news. And that was a big deal for us. Uh, It it was a game changer for me. It really exposed me to so much, but it also made me realize that I didn't just want to do news. It exposed me to entertainment and lifestyle news. And after BET, I transitioned, but it was BET, you know, the red carpets and all that stuff that really opened my eyes to there being something more because covering news, it looks glamorous, but for some of us, for many of us who don't talk about it, it can be hard uh, covering negative story after negative story, death after death, you know, as you know, there have been, you know on top of covid and and racial unrest in this country there've been so many deaths and suicides and things like that as of late because i don't do news i can turn it off i don't have to watch those things um i get I'll, I'll, I'll learn just a bit of detail you know i don't want to re- i don't want to be ignorant but i don't want to have to delve into those things because that had an impact on me so i was happy on me personally and my mental health so I was happy to step away from news in that way and move into entertainment and lifestyle. Yeah, but BET was such a game changer to me and such an eye opener to what this industry could be. And that's why I am rooting for the Black News Channel, because I really want to see them succeed. It's it, To me, it's an extension of what we did. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It definitely is an extension and it's an entire network uh, dedicated to that. You know, BET, they... You know, they wanted to do news, but they didn't, like, really want to do it. Yeah,
1: you know, and I I tell people for all of of the issues there, because people don't realize how costly news is to do. And that was
2: the issue for BET. And that was the
1: issue. That was part of the issue for BET. But to your point, they were torn, uh, especially after Bob left. And I give Bob credit. At the end of the day, no matter what you thought of Bob Johnson's ownership, he understood the importance of news and he was not going to let that news department go anywhere. Yeah, we fought him for money we but but I, you know, I give the example when the Million Man March, he just said don't worry about advertising. We won't advertise the whole day and he put it on because he knew yeah. the importance of it. After he left, you didn't see those kinds of decisions made, quite frankly. Um, let me ask you about what news is today. It is not the same uh industry that you and I grew up in. It is not what um it's become very opinion driven and the like, do you not that you don't understand change because change is change, but do you, do you see it as detrimental? Do you see it just as it is just a different time? How do you see it?
2: I do see it as detrimental. I do think that it's more, um, entertainment driven. I think Mm -hmm. it's too ratings driven. Um, I think it's too, I think too much Effort is given into ratings and what people will watch as opposed to what they need to know. And I think that's a dangerous thing because news journalism should be about giving people information that they need, not about entertaining people. And I know if you're not entertaining in some type of way, then are people going to watch you, particularly when there's so much competition, especially in the digital space? But I still think that we still need to stay true. To what the the founding principles of journalism are all about. And that is the facts. That is not a lot of opinion. Um, And it is not not choosing news that is going to get the most eyes as opposed as opposed to choosing news and presenting news that people need to know.
1: Yeah, I struggle with the idea of not being the old guy get off my lawn because I understand that things morph and change. Um, but I personally don't need to see an hour or two or three. If you watch three shows in a row of yeah. someone giving me opinion, their opinion, and having guests on, I mean, you know, we've heard it all. But it is just a a different industry, and I agree with you. I think there's so many things that don't get told, don't you know, get looked at fairly. Yeah. And and news was never unbiased. We all were biased in a way, but you fought against them. You fought yeah. against your biases. Yeah,
2: it, it, it definitely, and you always, and, and I think particularly when it comes to covering certain topics, I think it's important to weigh in, particularly if it impacts you, you know, covering the death of George Floyd or, or mm-hmm. covering bombings at HBCUs. You know, I attended an HBCU. So to talk about how I feel about that, I think is important. I do think it's important for us to give some opinion when it lends perspective to the story. Mm-hmm. But I, To your point, I think it does go a bit too far when it's just this constant spewing of opinions around the clock, and not enough time is being given to the facts and information that people need. I think there needs to be more of a balance.
1: Jackie, do you have a? People ask me about this all the time. Do you have a particular career highlight that you would point to if you had to put something to say? This, you know, kind of illustrates my career. This. Is a moment that I'd like people to see. Do you have one of those?
2: Geez, I I really don't know. I have to think about it. I I've, I've gone in so many directions with my career. Um, and and you get that. So it it's hard to say. I mean, it could be one particular person. I mean, it, it's hard for me to answer that question. And my mind is, I've been <laughs> asked this question so many times. You think <laughs> that I would come up with an answer by now, but I really don't have one. There are just so many things that have happened that have been highlights, you know what I mean, in in my career, just different things that have happened. Um, There's just been so many. It's hard to pinpoint.
1: When we come back, Jackie talks about the podcast she co-hosts with her play cousin, who happens to be one of the biggest names in cable news. And we get into how she's become one of the best voices for veganism. Jackie Reed is co-host of the popular podcast, Read This, Read That. The clever name is thanks to her long-standing friendship with MSNBC's Joy Reed. No relation. Well, kind of.
2: Yeah, my play cousin, Joy Ann
1: Reed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we have been lucky enough to have you on the show, and you got to come back. Um, we had a lot of fun, as, as as you realized, when you were in the studio with us back when we were in the studio. <laughs> um, it, it, she, Joanne and I genuinely are friends. We've been friends for years. And it just started organically while she was the manager, managing editor at the Grio. And I was working at an NBC Lifestyle Entertainment Show, you know, in the same building. We would see each other in the hair makeup room, the Kiki in the bathroom and just having a good time. I was doing an internship program and she took a whole bunch of my interns uh, at the Grio and put them to work. So that's kind of like where things, the seed was planted. And then from that, we started, you know, going out to dinner, going to events, just being around each other so much. Her daughter even is my dog sitter for my dog. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? It just really morphed into this family thing because she, and you've met her, people see Joanne, the person on, on the readout now, formerly on, you mm-hmm. know, a Joy and in different, you know, she's very smart. Uh particularly when it comes to politics, but so many things. It, do, it just doesn't stop there. She's one of the most brilliant people that I know. But she's also one of the kindest, sweetest, most considerate people, almost to a fault, in my opinion. I tell her on the show all the time. She's too nice, uh, in, in my opinion, too nice. But she's really a, a kind person and a really good friend. And so we're, we're good friends, genuinely We weren't. We at first we wanted to do a TV show because neither of us understood podcasts. It was like, what is a podcast? You know, (laughs) (laughs) bunch of old ladies, old aunties, like I don't understand it. So we were going to do the old thing and do a TV show and pitch it to networks and all that kind of stuff. And then I said, you know what? We should do a podcast. Um, and she was reluctant. She was like, nah, we need to do a TV show. Nobody's doing. She felt like it was kind of like beneath Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. I was like, girl, no, because this was like five, six years ago. And so it took us about a year and a half, uh, to really understand it and get it started. And then from then on, it just has become, you know, we were in the studio. Like I said, we started out at Sirius and their studio space. Uh, and then, when the pandemic happened, we realized that because we were struggling to try to be in the same place right, all the time, right. we wouldn't be able to do shows. But, you know, for the pand- because of the pandemic, we realized Zoom would make it possible. So she, of course, lives in the D.C. area um, and I am in the New York area. So it worked out perfectly for us to go on Zoom. And now that has been a game changer for us. And so just a lot of growth. Um, since then we've learned a lot and there's some, you know, big things we're working on for the future. So we love this podcast and I have given her when she went Monday through Friday, I was like, okay, listen, cuz this is your get out, leave it alone. I get it. We good. If you don't want to do this, now is the time to, to just say, I don't want Mm -hmm. to do it. I've said that to her several times because she's so incredibly busy, Mm -hmm. but she, as I do, we love doing this show. It's like therapy for us, particularly for her, that has, because she has to do what I talked about earlier, day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She has to just, you know, just breathe in all that hard news and negativity, particularly with the, you know, with the Trump stuff. And so for us to doing this show, particularly for her, it is just therapeutic. You know, it's an outlet for her and we get on there. We kiki. We talk about some serious stuff, but we talk about, you know, our wigs. We have the same wig maker, (laughs) you know, and all kinds of stuff, menopause. We talk, we just have fun and we just talk about that and topics. It is really like just sitting down with two girlfriends and that's what this read that is all about.
1: Let me ask you about, um, you mentioned, uh, HBCUs. You are alum of Clark Atlanta. Um, you, you, mentioned, internships and, and being a mentor to many young people, what, what drove you there? Were you one who found, as a, a young journalist, people who reached out to you? Is it paying back? Why do that?
2: It's, it's all of that. You know, when I was um, an undergraduate at Clark, I found out about this program that Northwestern University had for uh, Black undergraduate students and I qualified for the program and I spent a summer in um, in Chicago. Um, no, I'm sorry. That, that was Northwestern. At, in Washington, D.C., we stayed at George Washington University. And it was me and a group of other black students and we had the opportunity to go and visit newspapers and newsrooms and hear from all these great journalists that lived in the dc area george curry being one of the ones who came and mentored us so they really poured into us um, during that we were there for eight weeks and it was amazing because i mean i never experienced anything like that and then the the program ended with a two-week internship that they they found for us, and mine was at a newspaper in um, Prince George County, Maryland. And so I, you know, I had uh, front page stories as an intern there. It was a great experience, and so that was a, a group of black journalists pouring into me at that time. And so I wanted to do something like that for the students at Clark Atlanta University, specifically, because what I noticed when I left Clark and went to Northwestern for graduate school was because of the money. Right. Uh, there were so many more resources available to those students. I mean, I Clark students, you know, we'll find a way or make one. That's mm-hmm. not our motto mm-hmm. for nothing. We'll figure it out. But I wanted to make sure that the students at, at Clark that walked through the same halls that I did would be able to be as competitive as possible with everyone else. So I started mentoring groups of students, um, you know, my interns, I have a great group of interns right now. And it's not just, you know, hey, I'm working on this, edit this for me, hey, I'm working on that. No, we do workshops, we have guest speakers. It is a learning environment that I provide for these students. And it's also exposing them to journalists that can also pour into them, be references for them, they can expand their contact list and hear other perspectives about the industry, not just mine.
1: And we should note, you kind of said, you know, I went to Northwestern, but uh, Medill, the journalism school at Northwestern is arguably the the finest in the nation. So for you to be there is a a feather in your cap. It isn't just, well, I went to graduate school. So kudos to you on that. Uh, But, but you're right, because anytime we get somewhere, you can best believe the person you sat next to, or you you know, didn't probably work as hard, yeah, just to get in the door if they are of another persuasion as the old folk used to say, yeah, uh, that means white folk for y'all young people. But <laughs> Jackie has loved animals since she was a child. She's become a strong advocate for the ethical treatment of animals. I wondered if that love is what drove her to become such a powerful proponent of veganism.
2: Yeah, it it was that. It was just the realization. I say becoming a vegan is like taking the red pill in The Matrix (laughs) and seeing what is really going on in the food industry before food ends up on your plate. Most of us don't want to hear about it, Mm -hmm. right? You just don't. But you know that you're eating animals, but I say that we really have to become more conscious consumers. We have to know the story of all the products that we buy, including and especially our food. And once I took the red pill, if you will, and said, okay, let me really take a look at this factory farming and what is going on in this industry. And it is ugly. I mean, not The suffering of animals alone is horrific, Mm -hmm. but also the condition of the meat that we get, what factory farming, it is capitalism at its worst, factory farming is doing to this planet um, and what it is doing to the health of of the people who consume these things, particularly black and brown people, Mm -hmm. because a lot of these factories are in poor communities. It ends up, you know, polluting the air, polluting the water. You know, they did some tests in North Carolina near some of the pig farm, like miles away from pig farms and people there were feces all over there, you know, microscopic pig feces throughout their house houses. So there's that. And then this food industry, like the McDonald's and the chicken places and all that stuff, you know, those fast food restaurants that end up in these food deserts where there's no fresh food, right? There are only these foods. It's the worst of the worst of these meat industries. You know what I mean? You hear reports of people finding a chicken head and this or this kind of, you know, it is the worst of the worst, but we don't pay attention, right? We don't care. We just want to get our Popeye's chicken sandwich and fight for it and all that kind of stuff, because black people particularly, I really want to wake up to what veganism is and why we should lean into it. People like I sent you a clip from Angela Davis and Mm -hmm. Dick Gregory were big vegans. Dick Gregory started back in 1960.
1: Yeah, he's way ahead of the curve
2: way ahead of the, he didn't even, didn't even know the term veganism, but there were a lot of black people. Think about it back in the day. I know in Detroit, there was, there were a couple of shops and stores where people, you know, may have sold bean pies, Mm -hmm. incense, they didn't eat pork, they didn't eat any meat. They were vegans. You know, people taught. there's the controversial Dr. Seabee, who was another person who promoted veganism and a different kind of health we have got to look at what we are eating and what is happening in the food industry. You know, you may not like dogs, right? You may not care about them, but why are dogs more important than cows? Why are why are horses more important than cows or pigs or chickens and things like that? It is a it is a mind game that's happening, and that's why I go back to the Matrix. It's this mind game. You know, they have these commercials where you know animals are grass fed and chickens are walking around. What do they care? They're about to be murdered. And <laughs> what does grass fed really? You know, they're not happy about it. Mm-hmm. If you look, and the dairy industry is probably the cruelest. Ed and I encourage people to just go and take a look. You know, when cow, cows, a lot of us think that cows just produce milk. No, just like women, just like humans, they produce milk when they are pregnant. And we get that milk because once they give birth, their calves are snatched away from them, never to see them again. So there's not that bond. And these that milk goes for human consumption. And the calves, the male calves are killed for, for us to have calf skin this and calf skin that, or they're killed for veal. And the female calves, are put in bins, fed with machine milk bottles, and when they get old enough, they're artificially inseminated so that they can have babies. And it it is horrific. And you know, when I was on the Wendy Williams show recently, the producer, one of the main producers, was like, "Well, I want you to talk about why I want to choose, you know, vegan leather over this or vegan this over that." And I said, "Well." It's the animals. She said, nobody wants to hear about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you that though, Jackie, um, do you find that people are lending a, a, a greater ear, if you will, because people, particularly back in the day, particularly when, for instance, as you suggested, when Dick Gregory was talking about it, you know, no. people almost said, yeah, they're a little kooky, let them have their, so are you finding that people are at least listening a little differently?
2: Yes. They are particularly because of the health benefits. Particularly because of words like sustainability, which is a big part of the fashion industry, and they're moving away from using fur and even leather. Now, uh, many in fashion are using sustainable methods mm-hmm. of creating leather: apples, pineapple leaves, banana leaves, all kinds of different things. Um, I featured a shoe company on the Wendy Williams show that makes their shoes. Each pair is made from twenty plastic bottles that were actually taken from landfills or from the ocean. Um, Loki is the name of that company. And I love what they're doing because they're all about a cleaner planet. So in the fashion industry, you really find more of that. And so people are all about the environment now. You know, it's you know, black people for a long time thought environmental issues were all that's white people. You know what I mean nice. that's not for us but a lot of environmental activists are actually black people who are fighting things like the water crisis in Flint Michigan all of that is environmental you know what lead poisoning you know in our inner cities it's it's all environmental And so we have to start paying attention, particularly Black people, to what is going on outside of the walls of our homes and what's affecting the food that we eat, the water that we drink, and and the planet that we're on that we're leaving to our kids.
1: It's interesting because part of what you've been doing, which I think is ridiculously smart with a nod to TLC, is you have established (laughs) Vegan Sexy Cool. And it is the idea of just kind of rethinking, repackaging what veganism is for people to make it more palatable, isn't
2: it? Yeah, that was the whole point. It was so many people hear veganism or they hear eating vegan and they're like, oh, I got to sacrifice. Oh, I got to give up this and I got to give up that. And they feel like we wear burlap sacks we're wearing pleather. <laughs> Everything's cheaply made. I don't want no part of that. I don't want that. Now na- all you're eating are salads or nasty tofu. And, and it is not that at all. There are some of the finest resorts in the world, you know, have Z- have vegan food and have vegan, you know, vegan home accessories and things like that, linens and things like that, that are sustainably manufactured. So there's that going on. Some of the finest restaurants around the world have great vegan cuisine, because people even in the food industry are realizing the cruelty, they're realizing the health hazards, and they're realizing that they don't have to cut back on what can uh, appear aspirational for, for people, right? You can have fabulous shoes and fabulous coats and fabulous, you know, clothing and luggage and cars or even cars that now have vegan leather. BMW has one, Mercedes has one, you know, I mean, there, there's just, everybody's rethinking what it means to have luxury. And veganism is a big part of, of luxury. Now there's so many wonderful things to choose from. So yeah, I feel like people are giving it a different kind of look because before, yes, to your point, back in the day, vegans were seen as coots, And I still get that. Oh, here she come. <laughs> you know, I get that a lot still, mm-hmm. but you know, once people hear me out and once they see the vegan, sexy, cool brand and what I'm wearing and what I'm eating and they hear from me, then they relax. I can't tell you how many people I've heard from who will leave a comment and say, you know what? I started my vegan journey because of you. And you know what? You were right. It's not bad. It's not hard. I, like that is the, like, they always I always say to myself if I could reach, reach one person, that will make a difference to me and I have done that and then some.
1: Well, I will tell you, I appreciate the passion that you put into it, Jackie. you know, a lot of people start it, they push it for a little bit and either they get tired of it or they fall off the wagon or whatever the case may be. But you have been true to this and I think smart in the way that you have um, delivered it. even you know old school meat and potato dudes like I, Uh, have been for many years, have started to listen. And as I said to you, I'm not kidding. You know, some days I do go meatless. I've I've got friends who go, you know, same thing, especially, you know, old black men, like, uh, you crazy, you know, but, and we need it more than anybody with the prostate cancer and all the things that we have to deal with, you know? Um, but I just, I, I, I salute you for what, you know, what you've been doing. And I would just say, you know, keep it up. Some of us will come kicking and screaming, but we're coming, we're getting closer.
2: I hope so. I'm here waiting.
1: <laughs> All right, Jackie Reed. As always, we'll be looking for uh, your next project. You know how I feel about you, girl. So I appreciate you coming on. I
2: feel the same. Thank you, Gordon.
1: Don't forget to join Jackie and her play cousin, Joanne Reed on their podcast, Read This, Read That. Listen wherever you get your podcast. If you want to find out more about veganism and Jackie's journey as a vegan, check out her YouTube channel. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media.